Hi folks, I'm Robert Marchetti. Welcome to the Raw Hospitality Show, where I interview hospitality industry icons and boots on the ground hospo peeps, that's an Australian term, those workers and veterans that have something valuable to say. If you work in hospitality, we're going through some tough times right now, but I hope this show will inspire, motivate and entertain you until we come out the other end. If you have someone you want me to interview, just DM me on Instagram at The Raw Hospitality Show. Now, on with today's episode. It'd be brutal because like sometimes I'd be opening a bar, then closing a bar, and then like as it's like heavy hours, I would see a text just in the corner of the phone. It's like someone from LA is like, hey, can you get this track to us in six hours? And I'm like, my shift ends in two. Yeah, yeah. And then I have to run to the studio after working 15 brutal hours. Yeah. And then try to like crank out something and get it to them before they wake up. All right, folks, we've got a pretty awesome guest, Jin Chowie, aka Jin Doll, G I double N D O double L. Just asked her to send me a writer on herself. I said, tell me about me how you can describe yourself in a few words. Coffee, water, whiskey or tequila on the rocks, temperature at 73 degrees, six strippers. That's what she sent me. I actually found an old self-description of her on social media. Good girl, bad doll, sound bay, earworm, not sure what that means, queen, liquid gold drip, Motor City Never Dies, a saint of New York. That sounds pretty exciting. Jin Choey is an enigma wrapped in hustle paper that never gives up to fulfill her passions. A Michigan girl with Korean heritage, an academic family, and easily the hardest working woman I know. Jin is a music composer, jingle writer, singer, and a damn fine gin-in-a-bottle bar goddess who has, to me, bigger colliones than most MMA fighters. For anyone considering either of these industries, Jin Choey has to be listened to for this interview. For her, just for her super humble approach, yet her hardcore mentality to getting what she wants and owning her unique style. I've actually not met many people like this with such tenacity and resilience. Here is the AKA Jin Doll. All right, we're here today with my dear friend Jin Choey. I did a little introduction on your background. You're a bit of a hospitality goddess, as I know, and a music person. We've been good friends for a long time. I haven't met too many people like Australians that can drink as much as an Australian and still wake up the next day and go and perform and do whatever you need to do. So I welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great. So you're a Michigan girl, New York for how many years? This is my 11th, maybe 11 and a half as of this winter. Right. And so you you came over here like 11 years ago, and I remember you telling me this great story about you're an academic, essentially studying medicine, right? You come from an academic family. That's if I remember correctly, your father's an engineer, and your mother's an academic, and your sister, and you went, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be in medicine, and you decided to pack up and come to New York, right? Yeah, my parents are still mad about that. You know, honestly, I've never been happier. I, I have zero regrets about that. I just realized, I think, I just wanted to do something completely different. And, and it's, it's kind of difficult when you have no skill sets other than medicine. So I had to really, like, cultivate another passion, another industry. And it became two industries, like two right. very male-dominated industries at that, being hospitality and the music industry. I remember that little story you told me about when you had your CV. I was, I was writing in my notes and you, you put a resume together. You rolled into New York. You've never worked in a bar before. So, you know, <laughs> I said in the intro, you've got Corleones like bigger than an MMA fighter. What made you think you could just walk into a bar and get a job without any experience? I didn't. You know, it's funny. If you looked at the resume that I was handing out like 10-ish years ago, I think I was maybe more like nine at this point. Sorry, nine years ago. And it's just medical worked as a lab tech, all these like worked at a veterinary hospital, all those different 
qualifications that bar after bar, I think it was like 50 some odd number of bars was walking door to door, dropping it off and just getting, you know, no after no. And I was like, I'm just going to keep going until so everybody one of them rejected you. A chance. Yeah. Every single one, except for fat Buddha bar and, you know, bless Cliff Cho. He's one of the best uh, people I've ever worked under. He is the owner of Fat Buddha Bar. I walked in there and I, I got really lucky right. because, you know, one of the girls, she was leaving. She was going to school to MIT or something like that, I right. want to say. And I handed it to her and she goes, it's your lucky day. I'm leaving. It's like my last week here. I was like, really? Sweet. I was like, cool. And then he actually like contacted me and he, right. he goes, you know. Hey, what do you do outside of this resume, which has nothing to do with bartending? And I was like, Well, I don't know, treating animals, it's pretty much the same working in a restaurant. Right. Well, I was like, Well, I was doing music. And he goes, Oh, he's also like a label head for drum and bass. And I didn't right. I didn't know that time. Right. And he, he's also Korean American. I just got really lucky that we all had very similar common backgrounds, I guess. And I go, Listen, Cliff, if I will work for free for the first two weeks if you just give me a chance. I'm smart. It's going to be a learning curve for me, but I will. Sure, sure. I'm smart. I'll pick up really fast. Like, please give me a chance. Like, who says that? Me. I mean, like, yeah. so few people. I'm older than you, and we have those folk stories of oh, we offered to work for free, but nobody does that anymore. And obviously, they took you up on it. Well, they still paid me for my training shifts, oh, right. which is great. Like, it was like three or four training shifts, and at first, like, they were like, I don't know if this girl's going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give her some money so she can eat for the she next week while she starts to death in New York. <laughs> yeah, and like that. that that bar, that venue is, is still to this day like an amazing venue where all the like famous 90s rappers like Sax Lucked, all these like, you know, these radio DJs, they all hang out there and they right. all do their thing. And like, you know, we we had like very, very prolific people with like so many accolades like show up there. And, you know, a lot of people who have also passed away in the hip hop community, they do great things like still to this day. Do you remember and any of the people that came in? Yeah, there, of names? there's a lot. I mean, there was like the Rizzo once like wow. came in. We were supposed to have a couple of people. Oh, gosh, I see it's a long time ago. Oh, Stack Select is obviously there all the time. Um, Tristan Eaton is another Detroit, very, very well-known graffiti artist. He does sure. great murals, and you see it all over New York. Sure. He's hanging out there, and it's just like a favorite haunt. I see Met TC is on before he passed away. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. he was there. A lot of just, just like a lot of real legends. Yeah, real legends are are there all the time. So you now you're in this bar. You're working for not for free for two weeks, but you did offer it. They finally give you a job. At what point did you think you were a nuts and you're in New York and you're trying to be, you know, in the hospitality industry and then where that merged to music? So, you know, after that second week, they decided to give you a job. What happened then? You just thought, shit, I actually better be good at this? Yeah. I just was like, I'm just going to just do whatever they say. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and at first it's just like, I, you know, it's, it's hard to like get it and I get it. But um, yeah, I probably similar to a lot of creatives in New York City uh, started off in the hospitality industry because it was flexible yep. and I was doing music i just got my feet wet at that time and i saw like a couple big checks from like sony i was like a, a ghostwriter for for the labels for a long wait, time wait 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 back up you jumped yeah. ahead where did we get the music bit in there the music when you got here you didn't have anything you were <laughs> no, a vet no i didn't basically. i was a vet yeah and then and then i i eventually got into music that's a whole nother long story but then i ended up quitting and then i went into hospitality because that was what would pay my bills in between the bills that I would have dry spells for. And, right. you know, at first I didn't really, it was out of necessity yep. rather than, you know, a passion. And then I fell in love with it. So we're in the bar, right? We're right. going to slow down for everybody who yeah. doesn't know you too much. You're clearly great in the bar and, you know, like we're yeah. all functioning alcoholics. That's where we get in the hospitality industry, but you not so much. Now, when did the music part start? Did it start right. before the bar job? Yeah, I think I was looking at, at the time, I was working at this stem cell research lab uh, up in Washington Heights for Columbia University, and it was like a Nobel-winning laboratory for ALS research. 
And I remember just being really miserable. And I'm like, before I quit my day job, I really need to cultivate like what I really want to do. And I remember I was reading this study, how they put people in MRI machines and were reading dopamine levels and playing different genres of music. It was like jazz and rock and hip hop. And then there was like pop, which is technically an all encompassing multi-genre. And then the dopamine levels were maxed out on pop. And I was like, and then, you know, the results of the study was like, oh, this is why it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And like, it comes right before the repetitive hook. Sure. And people, whether they hated or loved the song in that MRI machine, got off on the song. And I was like, I need to be doing So that kind industry. of like when they put Achy Breaky Heart on yeah. and I fucking hated that song. Yeah. And why was I singing it six because months later? You, you can predict it and, right. and your your dopamine levels get off on it and you're addicted to it. So there's, ten, I mean, apart from brainwashing you to like something, yeah. there's also a way. Yeah. The music is a form of therapy for certain types of music, right? Or like torture. I know, sorry, <laughs> or torture, or torture, depending who's on <laughs> the playlist, right? Yeah, we know plenty of times like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like you know, bad country. But like you know, as a form of therapy, I know there's music out there scientifically proven to decrease depression, yeah. you know, decrease anxiety and so forth. What did you learn about that to manipulate? how you wanted people to feel in an environment. Because that's what hospitality is like, theatre, right? So you left medical school Mm -hmm. on the basis of what? I was doing medical while doing music because I was fascinated by the neurology of that. Right. Studied a lot of it, then went into it. And then I made like my first big break writing for Rihanna's team back in 2011. Wow. And that was like... I How did you sc- get that? Did you just stalk her a place outside? Well, I was. That's another one. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was, I was writing for like, just like random clients for smaller labels and yep. a lot of like people who wanted to go into Eurovision. So yep. like really bad Europop. It's really hard to describe. That it was very electronic. And then the engineers at these studios were like, "You're actually really good working with this Italian artist who doesn't even speak English. Like right. you should write for some bigger clientele. Why didn't you show up tomorrow at this time?" I'm not going to tell you who it is. Wow. So it was it was so, really so just a walk recording me, so you So you were just like, okay. Like, and, yeah. and then you rolled in and, yeah. and then they told you who the client was and what happened then? You you never meet the client. They don't really tell you until you really show up. It's just a songwriting room. It's yeah. a camp of eight people that they just kind of lock you in a room for about yeah. two weeks and just go, Whoosh, right, right, slaves. Whoosh. It's kind of like kidding. the music <laughs> Guantanamo Bay, basically. Yeah. They waterboard you yeah. till you give them what they want. Yeah, with songwriters, a bunch of, you know, like management of the, of right. the you know, stuff like that. And so when that did you find amazing. out it was Rihanna? Like when I showed up, I was like, wait, whoa, that's what we're, who did we're submitting to. Did you have a like a, what the fuck moment? Yeah, kind of, yeah. And I didn't know what I was doing. Like I got, like I have no, no knowledge of intellectual property rights or anything. Right. So that's also part of the reason why I got screwed up because I didn't sign off on the splits. So you got to right. check in the beginning. It it was a good learning experience and um, a lot of a lot of met a lot of people through that. That was amazing. And now it's evolved into. I'm jumping ahead a few mm-hmm. bits and pieces with the music, but we're going to get yeah. to some stuff later. But yeah. now it's evolved into your own recording studio. It has, and you hustle between that and working in bars oh as God. well, and doing a great job in bars <laughs> and being responsible for my very small dry liver. But so, like now we're in bars. We're now winding forward eleven years. Okay, and so you you're well known around the traps in the bar world, and you know a lot of music people. And I, often we go to your bar and sit outside and yeah. you look after. After us, what's changed from eleven years ago? Let's talk pre-COVID, okay. because hopefully, when we this show airs, the COVID is over, the plague, as they call it. But pre-COVID, what had changed in eleven years for bars for you? Oh man, just just for me? Yeah, I mean, me in the industry, like yeah. I, I would say I worked at Fat Buddha Bar for like five years, working at like a lot of club kind of spaces, mm-hmm. and then I I wanted something different. I think. I, you know, like after a couple of years, I'm just like, now what? And I loved it. I really loved it, especially like being part of that nightlife scene with musicians also being loved. Sure. really helped me fall in love with that and learning how to, to talk to people and when not to, rather. And um, I want to do mixology. So 
I just shifted gears and then just learning how different I'm not quite sure what your question is asking, well, but, well, but what's, what's changed, changed for you? About? Because we're getting to your science side. Right. Because we we're gonna I'm gonna oh, ask yeah, you a yeah. little question see, later see, on see, about see, your yeah. weird yeah. your weird little lab yeah. experiments that you have all the time. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. In the day you've gone to the you know what 11 years ago when you're in a bar, right. now, then the Me Too movement wiped through uh, New York, right. which needed to happen. Right. We needed right. to clean out of that. Right. Was that a, was that something that you ever you know had to worry about in the bar scene? I mean, sure, as yeah. a beautiful bar person working behind the bar, boy or girl, there's always going to yeah. be some drunk idiots trying to hit on you. But what yeah. a change in the industry up until now, pre-COVID. Does it feel better now running bars? Is it a lot more uh, you know, strict? Are people a lot more careful or is it still just loose? See, I don't want to speak for or on the behalf of other women, mm. right? So I, Me Too movement and all that stuff, I, I, was, I think I was very lucky to not have to ever face some weird harassment issues and, and stuff like sure, that. Sure, sure. Luckily, I've been, especially my two bars I currently work at, which is Bar Belly, which is like a craft cocktail bar, mixology yep, for it. fun. Yeah, that place is fantastic. And, you know, that's what I really wanted to get into is like get all science nerdy about yep. it. And I accidentally then just realized, wow, it's just the same thing as a science laboratory setting, just in food science. And then the other spot is Tavern 29, which is like multiple floors and it's just very like beer forward. I want to learn about beers. And that's actually what I want to do. <laughs> and it's been, that's a woman run team. Like yep. there's no harassment in there. Like against that, I've, I've been very lucky to work in environments where they just really help cultivate me as as uh somebody trying to learn and tap more and deeper into mixology so you're and, always inquisitive about what you're doing yeah i just want to know more and it's like more questioning so more we come up to now pandemic right <laughs> which is now when this comes out we're recording in the six month in and i've got a big bar you're running a bar my bar can't open through this period your bar belly has some outside seats What's changed now? Because now the environment, the, you know, the hustle inside, yeah. the the passion, the creativity is different. And now everybody's serving cocktails out on the street. Yeah. What does it feel like? Well, so before COVID, I really wanted to, it evolve into like doing mixology and like trying to be more sustainably focused. I was trying to like really drive. We're like Oyster Bar as well, where it's, uh, you know, we promote Billion Dollar Oyster Project. We're like all about that and like trying to just talk about sustainability. Also, um, that just kind of went out, out the window when we're using more to-go cups and plasticware, sure, which sure. just breaks my heart. So, we, I mean, we're using compostable everything now, which is great. Yep. It's definitely outdoor dining. It's it's less like the intimate setting that you had, which was like the jazz trio playing, you know, and there's like little couples that little dimly lit candles inside. It's now it's it's outside. So it's just a completely different vibe. So it's yep. a little bit more fun, carefree. I would say more casual. Sure. So whereas before it was kind of like more intimate date and then turns into like a crazy club night where it's just sure. packed out and then we have to collapse tables to have a standing room and just it's like shoulder to shoulder. Well, it's like, I think we talked about it last night. It's like really yeah. polarizing now for those places that are institutional and, and have always had an atmospheric moment inside, not through necessarily trying, but just because they're 100 years old. And then all of a sudden they're now just serving really simple basic drinks outside yeah. and the atmosphere is gone. What are your predictions of when everything comes back and if it comes back? Uh-huh. In the next six months, do you think people are going to use their experience in that place, good or bad, and different to go back to that place? Do you think the bar culture is going to change, or are we all just going to do what we are we do after every kind of crisis in yeah. the world? Is everybody just wants to go out and get drunk? That's a really good question. I mean, there's definitely been uh, regulars of the bar, patrons wise. I wouldn't say there's two types of regulars. There's the bar people who are staunch believers of the bar, and they come back and they go. This is a very different vibe from what it was when it was indoors, yep. but I still like it. You know, still trying to be attentive and things like that is very important. And then there's like my regulars who will ride or die and just go to any venue I'm at, no matter what. So, <laughs> so they, they, they're, 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 like, they're just happy I'm there, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. But yeah, they, they have definitely said like, it's just, it is completely different. So a lot of these venues who can't evolve, so to speak, and be able to do uh, outdoor dining in order to like really, really get 
maybe a comparable amount of sales per week, sure. I guess. It, it would be very tricky and hard. And, you know, that ambiance of being able to curate, like, the music down to, like, the service and everything is incredibly important. It's going to be so long between we can put a crowded bunch of people in a room together yeah. and feel safe, right? And what's really interesting is the drinking culture here is so different. For like, for example, you know, in Australia, mm-hmm. you know, my business partner had a ton of bars and, you know, people would basically, the average person would drink four or five, you know, drinks mm-hmm. before they would knock out. And then in, I've noticed in New York, the culture of drinking is a little bit more mannered. It's a little bit more thoughtful. Everybody takes their time. Mm-hmm. Cocktails are huge. Mm-hmm. It's very seldom, except for me, I guess, people having just whiskey. But I've noticed the, the drinking. Have you found that between the places you live, like Michigan and New York? Like Michigan seems like kind of like where I came from, which is Danong in Melbourne, which is kind of like a little lefty. You know, we can, you know, it's a little rough, but we we have a passion for it. And we can drink anybody under the table. And then you get to New York, and everybody's a bit more bespoke. Do you feel like that? It it depends because I I used to travel all around the country, like being part of this photography team, that's a long story. It was a part-time gig. But anyway, um, different cities would have different, definitely different like types of drinkers. And New York was definitely cocktail forward, I would say. And if you go to like a smaller city or smaller town, like you would have that one really special cocktail bar, if at all. Sure. But a lot of these places that are like super like out there in the Midwest, there's, there's no, there's not really a cocktail bar. Who Who are the biggest drunks in America? Which, which district? Firemen. Sorry. Firemen. <laughs> I well, love that, them. Yeah, you know you <laughs> love them because they're always hanging outside the bar because it's near a fire station and they, of course they love you because yeah. you look after them. Oh, they've the never best. got an empty glass. Okay, so who, the biggest drunks are firemen, thank God, you know, because, well, I can understand <laughs> that. They've got a stressful job. I mean, I was a chef as trade and when you're in the kitchen surrounded by flames and fire and getting burnt, yeah. but they take way more risks with their lives. Mm-hmm. What about What about towns? Like who are the biggest drinkers in this country? Oh, other than like people who tailgate football, that's the one thing I can I can imagine out in the Midwest. People who are like super about, especially if they're kids in college, biggest drinkers. You know, it, it's it's hard to say. I like, think in North Carolina or in yeah, West Virginia, like, yeah, naming you know. a state is kind of like a difficult thing. I mean, yeah. you can't really say. That. I would definitely say New Yorkers can drink more than Californians because we have that four a.m. thing, sure, sure, which we now no longer have. Yeah, oh, man, I think I read something. It was like a, we're we're at a loss of a one. $1.2 billion industry for nightlife being impacted like this. It's pretty crazy, right? $1.2 billion. And, you know, we make sales probably as comparable to the hours that are allotted. At Barbell, for example, we close at 11, so the, it's just crazy busy. If we could have kept going from 11 till 4 a.m. like we used to, yep. we probably could have made the same amount of sales just doing outdoor dining because actually we have, we have the same amount of tables. It's kind of funny because we talk about, you know, people that live above bars and the bar was there first and then they move in and then they bust the bar's balls for being mm-hmm. loud and noisy. And I can understand in a city that's loud and noisy, but at some point, you know, if you go and move above a bar that's got a 4 a.m. license, it's pretty hard to think that that's going to be quiet, right? Yeah. You know, so, so like, I'm looking at, you know, New York as a whole. Do you right. think out of this it's going to take some years to get to the recovery to come back to the industry? You know... It's like asking me what the weather's going to be like. I don't know. I think you never well, right know. Right now it's vaccine. cold just at the end of summer. Yeah, so. but what if they come up with a vaccine and everyone gets vaccinated and, yeah. you know, by springtime, like we're back, everything's full force again. Like we, we it's it might take a couple of months at the earliest is what I'm thinking at this yep. point. What is it? It's September right yep. now. Yep. I have friends in the CDC and the medical industry is like, there's definitely going to be another spike in New York, da, 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 sure, da, sure. especially because it's going to be winter soon and the virus is going to be able to right. transmit through the air a little bit. It's going to be a little hard better. to sit in shorts outside Barbelly in the middle of winter. Yeah, we should probably get space heaters pretty soon. Space heaters. <laughs> so what's really interesting, we're going to talk about music. Yeah. You've been working your ass off yeah. through this entire period 
in that industry. That industry didn't go to sleep. Like acting did. Oh There's a lot God. of actors that can't go on set. You can see that I've noticed a lot of really well-known actors have started to become like online mixologists. Do you know? Like, you know, I won't mention any names in case they dirty email me, but I'm like, no, you should probably, you know, it's like how to make a martini. And I'm like, no, you should probably just stick to acting, you know? Like, but they're all at home. Yeah. They're bored out of their brains. But in the music industry, yeah. everybody's making music, right? Yes. It's the craziest thing. So we have naturally adapted to be secluded and remote in terms of our work. Just being, you know, a lot of people have seen a lot of commercial studios closing before COVID even hit. Right. Because it's too expensive and technology was getting better and easier to just make your own music in your bedroom. So everyone was just moving their studios and just building a home studio for the longest time. And working remotely, like I think like even before COVID, more than half my clients and people and producers I've worked with are from not the state. Really? We just, we just email each other. Yeah, yeah everything. Right. Remote is goat is what uh, my- Remote is goat. Is what my producer said. <laughs> and like then COVID hit and then it's just like, we've never been busier than ever. Yeah. The music industry has been so busy. The only people who are hurting are people who don't produce music, you know, like in terms of like making records and jingles is what, what I've been doing a lot of lately. Sure. Are the, the artists who are more acoustic and like have to work in live venue kind of type deals, tours are canceled. That's where- a lot of people are hurting for sure. Sure. Live acts, um, live shows. But for me, I've just been like like out of my mind and just like contacting producers and just making jingles for a lot of people, especially after COVID when everyone everyone's been, you know, just holed up and they want to do something cool creative. And they, they, yeah, they, yeah. You know. So music's been amazing. And what else are you gonna do other than listening to music and well, that's I've noticed that at Cities had a lot of people recording their videos. Mm-hmm. I saw one the other day. It was a semi-trailer truck. We call it a semi-trailer in Australia. It was a truck with a guy on top of it, a Spanish musician. I can't remember his name. It was my brain freeze through Williamsburg. And then I saw somebody at the tower related, you know, mm-hmm. the the tower, viewing tower on that related building down in uh, Hudson Yards. Yeah. They had three helicopters. And I saw a friend of mine who's a, a choreographer with helicopters and they had three helicopters filming this guy singing on there. And I'm wondering if everybody's taking the opportunity of the city being dead yeah. and just thinking to themselves, well, let's, let's just make a music video. Yeah. I would say, yeah, if you are an artist, producing content would probably be where there was like a big bump of stocks and that would be, sure. be on the up. People who have who are videographers who want to produce content, it's been harder to shoot with like a crew because COVID would shut that down right. as a filmographer. And like whereas music, we just do everything remotely. Yeah. We can just grab a Which friend. you kind of always did. You always yeah. were in the dark. You yeah. guys were always smoking a lot of dope in recording studios. Every time I walk in any recording studio in the city, like it. it smells like a marijuana farm, you know, basically. And that's, you know, other than having some food in-house, you just keep them locked away for three or four weeks till they give you what you want. Yeah. So right now, I'm going to bring up this jingle you wrote me because I got you at a very vulnerable moment through COVID (laughs) where you were like, yeah, I got a few days off. And I'm like, hey, I don't know if I was high because when I was giving it to you, I, I, I asked you to write the song for this show, right? Right. And you were like, yep, no worries. And I'm like, do I need to get, and you go, just send me a couple of, and I think I sent you two songs. No, just one reference. Oh, one. Not even two. Which was Paolo Conti, you know, know, fantastic singer. You know, he's dead now, but he was a great singer. And I was like, I kind of want it like this, but not, but, you know, institutional. I don't want it to be too cool and I don't want it to be too old fashioned. And you somehow worked out that you knew what I wanted, right? That's a great song. Uh, You know what it was too? It's all in Italian. I didn't understand Italian. I tried to translate it. And then what I did is I was like, uh, I'm going away now for a week to like a music retreat to make a a ton of stuff for other clients as well as, you know, yourself. And I was like, I'm going to basically it's like a cow field. My one of my producers is like one of my best friends has like tons of accolades. 
Woodrow Skilson, a.k.a. Right. Architect. Um, architect. Yeah, he has like maybe three or four platinum records and a gold. He was worked with Janae Aiko as well as like wow. Kid Cudi and like wow. um, you know, Machine Gun Kelly, all these people. Anyway, he lives out in the fields in like South Jersey. So I was like, I'm going to go there. And we're going to we're going to just like write a ton of tracks. And it was literally just working 12, 14 hour days. Sure. And just like passing and waking up and like working again. And like anyway, it was cool to to get. Your jingle, and I think I remember looking, at, pulling up your reference, and I go, "I'm going to look up synonyms." What an idiot! I can't believe he said that. <laughs> I went, "Oh, I'll be nice to him." <laughs> no, no, I didn't say it. I didn't mean it that way. Anyway, yeah, the track we made it, and then I go, "He might hate this," so I'm going to show him the first pass, see if he likes it, and then and then I, I asked you what else. I was like, "Do you want like vocals on it?" Because it's this guy singing. Yeah, I was like, yeah. "Do you want female, male?" You're like, "I don't know." Both. So I was like, "Well, screw it. I'll just do like yeah. both." Yeah. So I wrote the lyrics. I was like, "I went." Sang it the first time, and then I made him sing it. He's never done something like this before. Wait, because like, you spoiled the surprise. I was going to say that you <laughs> sent it to me, and I was like, "Holy shit, I really love this!" And like, I'm like, "That dude sounds amazing." I don't know who she is, but I want to marry that voice. <laughs> and then I sent it back to you, and you were like, "Do you really like it?" Because then you that started to have shit. second thoughts because you realized you wrote something pretty fucking incredible, and you were like, "Well, if you don't like it, I can keep." <laughs> I remember you saying to me, "You go like, if you don't like it, we're really fine to keep it because we really like it." But I'm like, "Hey, slow down here." <laughs> Yeah, you know. I remember he was like bouncing around to the walking baseline. We've never made a song like this. So yeah. we didn't think we had it in us to make yeah. something that's like a very bossa nova jazzy kind of thing yeah. where he's singing like Tony Bennett, which took like an hour for me to vocal coach. I'm like, you are Tony Bennett. Become <laughs> Tony Bennett. No, talk it. Don't Did you make him it. wear a suit and walk around the house with a drink? I might. I was like, we might have to start dressing. Like we, I was just trying to get him in character and then he finally got it. I was like, perfect. And I had him come in first and then I come in. But we were just like, if he doesn't want the song. I'm going to keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, <laughs> you did tell me that because you were like trying to – you actually didn't want to give it to me. You were no. talking – you were trying to do some like Jedi mind trick shit and say, you really don't really like it. <laughs> and I'm like, actually, shut the fuck up. I need it. I, I we, we It was so good. We played for other like producers. Like we have this um, one Sony TV producer. His name is Joe Daniel. He'll just like randomly FaceTime us at like 4 or 5 in the morning. And we're like, hey, listen to this. We put it on and he goes – you guys made that. <laughs> yeah. I was, it's really impressive. Like, We're going to put it on our page because I was saying to Mark, our producer, that we should um, have it on the page for everybody to listen to because yeah. I actually didn't tell anybody what it was for. I sent it when you sent me the full draft of it and I didn't. And then you finally told me it was you singing and Woodrow, which was incredible. And uh, I sent it out to a whole bunch of friends and friends that are usually very raw, sometimes too raw with me and just go, that's shit or that's horrible right, or whatever. Right, and I said that to a bunch of friends and I didn't say it was for the show. I just said, what do you think of this? And they said, geez, that sounds fantastic. That's oh, a great, goodness. that's, you know, that's great. And, you know, it's got that real institutional, That you know, one of my friends, Mark, who was just finishing up with Virgin, 20 years branding guy, right? And he, um, he was actually on the Impossible Network, our producer show. And he is Mr. Like, if I give him the wrong wording, he'll just give me a three page review of that because he understands <laughs> brands. And he was just like, that's genius. And I said, and everybody loved it. And then we were like, we've got to have this, did, this song. Did you tell them a couple of R&B trap Ratchet hip hop artists and producers. Make yeah, I just said a couple of hillbillies were out in a farm in Jersey, just like writing this song, and, you know, smoking crack, and they'll be fine. But no, it was really fantastic. Yeah. So, I was going to ask you, which we which we've been talking about. So, you loved it so much, then you quickly, I said, okay, well, I've got to get this from you and and buy it. And you're like, okay, then. Yeah, well, and everyone then, was mad. I was selling it. They go, why aren't you keeping this? What's wrong with you? This, right. this you, this is going to go into your net. What? 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 They're like, you have to keep this. I was like, I can't. I already made it. It's going to be Roberts. He can use it for the rest of his life indefinitely. So, but then you rang me back and you were like, hey, I know your bar's closed because we've got Pepe Seller and it's kind of like very old world and Jason designed oh, yeah. the stage. And, and you rang me back and you said, 
We want to shoot a video to do, so you're oh, okay with that. Story. So so I, I played this to so many people, and then I, I was I showed it to my boss at Barbelly, Federico. Yeah. He's, like, the best. Anyway, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if, like, I shot a music video to this? Ha-ha. He goes, if you do, I want to be playing the saxophone. And I was like, done. We're going to make this happen, right? Because right, right. nothing would be greater than just to have my boss playing the saxophone and in the background, Careless Whispers kind of playing. And he just uses that <laughs> as a meme to troll, like, his enemies. And yeah. I'm like, that would be amazing. I was like, i got to make this happen somehow. And so I sent it over to Santos. He was like, he's like my baby brother. And in the cocktail world, he's a big videographer yep. now. Doing bar great. TV, doing bar a bar, yeah. bar documentary yeah, that, right uh, now. Was it Buddha Bar TV? Buddha Bar TV. Mm-hmm. He on Instagram. Yeah, yep. check it out. Great work. He's a golden child in terms of visuals. He just sees it. I was like, what do you think of this song? He goes, we should shoot a music video. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, Frederico wants to be on saxophone. Everyone's just like laughing. They're like, we have to make this happen. So, so that's why I created something you. really special, right? And yeah. I remember you saying, well, you're okay if we use your bar downstairs and da da da. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I just remember walking in and there's a fucking smoke everywhere. There's like fake <laughs> cigarettes. There's like a gun. There's like all this sort of shit. And I'm like, okay, you guys are good. I'm out of here, you know? Yeah, we were cranking that smoke machine. And I think it's good because the more, you know, I think we're going to also like, you know, thankfully with the splits of, the royalties, the more plays it gets, well, it's probably just like adding to promoting your venue. Yeah. And the more plays it gets, like the more you know, little pennies that we can collect as artists who have made it on the back end for royalties as well as yourself. And then yeah. I think that would just be a beautiful thing just to like have that going. It, it's it's going to be also conceptually beautiful. It's like very 1960s Mad Men. Yeah. And like, you know, the boys are like smoking heavily in a bar, which, you know, we just use a fog machine. And then, and yeah. then the girls are like, you know, in like, their petticoats like making yeah. martinis in their house that's retro and then we go and we murder someone it's yeah. actually <laughs> yeah. such a happy it's song. a love story <laughs> meet up <laughs> he's in a jazz bar singing you know there's like woodrow it's just like me and woodrow like looking very like 1960s and it's so cool it's it's we got like this van that was like a beautiful randomly this woman just like popped up in front of my house and i go can i use your van for the shoot it's a 1967 <laughs> 1967 ford and it has these doors that open up on the side yep yep i was like that's a band car. You know you want to you want to do a road trip at some point, right? Yeah. That that I, I, I don't know great. what I could do. I could play the triangle or something and be fucking weird. Or I could just start the bar. You know, I, I, I basically have the worst voice in the world. If, if I sung, it sounds like cats fucking. So Oh, I could probably make you sound good. Yeah, I'm we'll sure. Yeah, some yeah. Digital. So we also, yeah. we can't say for what, but we yeah. also, this is what I love about our friendship with all these people is that we have a little secret project, right? We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna shoot a crazy a crazy music video for something we can't talk about yeah. yet because we'll jinx it because we haven't yeah, done the deal. Wait, but uh, uh, but uh. it's pretty nutty, and we're probably gonna. <laughs> the more we talk about it, the more scared I get because I realize between the choreography, the dance, the music, the acting, the costumes, the lighting, and all the other things that are involved. I mean, I'm gonna need Spielberg's it's, budget. Yeah, it's daunting at first, but I don't know. Like, I'll help produce and make it easy. I'll just take it one day at a time. Everyone, it's daunting if you think about it. You just have to do it. It'll be it'll be fine. Like, because you've got so many hours in the day, you're just fluffing around. You're ready. Working like I think you worked in the bar last night till late, then stayed in the studio. What time did you leave the studio this morning, or did you sleep on no, the couch? No, I luckily just went to went home. But um, yeah, there has been many nights where it's been because now I have like a it's a music production company, right? Yeah, and so I'm getting sometimes back a few months ago, like eight months ago, nine months ago, when it was like heavy, or even in the winter, special holiday season, yeah. it'd be brutal because like sometimes I'd be opening a bar, then closing a bar, and then like as it's like heavy hours i would see a text just in the corner of the phone it's like someone from la is like hey can you get this track to us in six hours and i'm like my shift ends in two yeah, yeah. and then i have to run to the studio after working 15 brutal hours yeah 
and then try to like crank out something and get it to them before they wake up in LA. But that's the thing like, I've watched about hours. you. Like I'll get up, I get up, I'm an early riser, so I'll get up uh, even if I go to bed late because of you. But um, uh, it's like how I blush all my drinking problems and late night problems onto you. It's all my fault. Not my fault. It's all my fault. Um, <laughs> but I'll get up at six o'clock and I'll go for a run and I'll be by the water and at 6.30, 7 o'clock and I'll see an Instagram story. And I'll see you with, a, you know, taking a picture of the sun coming up outside your window. <laughs> How often do you sleep in your studio? A lot, right? A lot, yeah. And this fur coat has done me wonders. It's so yeah. warm, and I'll just like pull the couch cushions off. She's got a. If you're not watching this, she's got an enormous pink <laughs> coat. It's not real fur, it's so, so nothing warm. died. Um, <laughs> it's teddy bear. A, there's a lot of naked sheep out there, though. <laughs> I like a lot. Yeah, I am. Um, so yeah, I don't, it's definitely faux fur. It's like a teddy bear. Um, but yeah, I, I drape this on top of myself in the sound booth, huddled in, on top of like couch cushions. I pulled off, and right now my air conditioning's broken, so it's a brutal sixty-two degrees in there. It's just it won't shut off. Great. And so it's like really freezing. So last time I couldn't get like more than a, an hour of sleep in there because it was so cold. And then you back into it the next and day. Then, and, and I yeah, because I couldn't leave the studio because I had to wake up and like just just you know like wait for emails and then just like do it. It didn't make sense. To come you don't back really sleep anyway. But what I'm yeah. you're Tenacity, which I talked about at the beginning, it was kind of interesting. We had this conversation one day where somebody said, have you been away? And I said, oh, just for the day. And then the same with you. I think just the start of COVID, you had, you'd said, I'm going to go to Miami. And you went there for like two days, right? And came back and then haven't stopped since. And it was kind of interesting was when somebody said, oh, you know, you're so lucky that you can feel that way. And I went, you know, and, and they were talking about the positivity through mm -hmm. this period. And I'm like, look, i got a restaurant hemorrhaging money that's shut and put all these staff out of furlough. There's nothing to, for me yeah. to jump up and down about, but I'm also out of control yeah. of that situation. So the stoicism kicks in for that reason. Yeah. But what's interesting about you and I and, and a lot of our friends is, you know, a lot of people would say you're lucky. And I'm like, well, I know you're at the beach and you should have a break and I get all that, but I'm fucking hustling like you're hustling, right, through this process. So when things do go back to normal and everybody starts to shit the bed and go, what have I, well, I've got to do this and I've got to start that and I want to do this. You've been doing it the whole you yeah. know, way through. I, don't, I try not to drown in like a circular drain of negative thinking like ever. So I was, yeah, you, like how you brought up Miami. I was in Miami when everything shut down in yep. New York. Like I was in Miami with my friends and a beautiful, like beautiful condo right on the beach. And I get a call from both my bosses separately and they're like, we're so sorry. We're going to have to like let you go. But it's only because we're all shutting down and we're going to strip the bars. And my other, you know, boss, she was like crying on the phone. And I was just like, it's going to be okay. You, you know, didn't like stay long in Miami at all. It was like two, a few days. Like did, three days. Did you go to any bars? Yes, I was down there. And I actually thought, I was like, maybe if New York bars are shutting down, they're not shutting down here. I should just get a job and live in Airbnb and just bartend here. <laughs> That's... I'll just hustle. But they're like, no, 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 we're shutting down the next day too. I'm like, oh, crap. I can't just like. What are the bars like there? Are they, is there a big difference between there and here? Uh, it depends. There's like a lot of the clubs are a lot more spacey with like open air situation yep. and stuff like that. Um, and then there's like South Beach, which someone got shot like two hours before we arrived. It's just nice. crazy and ratchet. It's I mean, a little like, bit of depends. entertainment, but uh, <laughs> no ticket price. Yeah, it's just weird. Like there's like dancing and stuff. Like I don't know. Like it's just it's just it's a different know, scene, so, right? Yeah, it just depends on what area of Miami I guess you're in and stuff like that. And I was just there just to really just not think about anything. And then that happened. I was like, well, I guess I'm just gonna come home and not think about anything and try to figure well, out. you did think about everything. You just hustled the whole way through, right? Yeah. I don't think you've had a break since then, right? Yeah, and it was, it was interesting how I, ha I had to adapt because the studio was also shutting down. Now, I didn't right. feel safe to go in there, and I had to pull right. some of the gear out and then work at my very not soundproofed apartment in Brooklyn. Yep. So, like, it was really difficult to record, which is why I ended up going to Woodrow's in the cow fields and then just like, but yeah, I, I would then also try to do some bartending mixology stuff. I just watched way too much Chef's Table 
and then thought, oh, you know, like maybe I can like apply this food method into my cocktails. We're going to get to your weird food thing in a second because <laughs> oh, I got I got some details on you from your roommate while <laughs> oh, you no. weren't watching. Uh, <laughs> she was she was very open to giving me everything, um, but. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you a question for people that want to start out in the music industry. Yeah. I mean, clearly if they haven't listened to this podcast properly, then hustling doesn't make sense to them, but you essentially did that. But what would you give your advice to somebody that wants to, you know, jump into the music industry, loves music outside the fact that they just love listening to it, but they really want to hustle? Yeah. um, It's a lot of discipline and you've got to really be hungry to learn how to do something yourself. Um, There's so many plethora of information where you can, do it yourself, learn technology yourself. Um, you can go the route of like paying an engineer to do it, but you can also learn how to record yourself. That's important. And also like, it's interesting to me when people want to go into music and I don't know what their intent is. And I think sure. it's very important to know if you're in music and you really love it, there's no such thing as quitting. Sure. Because you're doing it because it's part of you and it's a life, not like a lot of people who- Not like me when I was 13 and I learned how to play Back to the Future on the piano <laughs> and thought, I can be a musician. And at 14, I was like, no, this is not for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you just have to just do it. I don't know. Like, it's hard to describe. Like, for me, like, I, I've had friends who go, I'm quitting the music industry. I'm like, I don't know what that m- means. Yeah. Because yeah. to me, I'm just going to go and make music and then just see if it lands somewhere. Like, I just kind of flail about. But that's but also why you're successful, it. because your yeah. driver isn't isn't money. No. Your driver or is- Or fame. It, I think is, that's what it is. They're in it for the fame reason or something. And I'm like, you can't think about it that way. You, it just, you are doing music. That's yeah. just what you But I think most stop. of the great successful artists in the world mm-hmm. have always thought that way. And I think, right. you know, so tell me some, give me a handful of names right now that you think are really exciting. People that are up and coming. We know all the big names, but who's cool coming. right now and that you think you love, you know, you think's got potential. And I know you're not the god on all music, but it, you have your opinions. Yeah. Um, tell me who's exciting right now for you. Uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. No, there's can't. there's a band I, I've been obsessed with called They. They're in California. I don't know them, but yep. they're, I can't stop listening to them. They. I think, yeah. It's just called, they're called They. Yeah. And that's the only one I can really recommend other than it's like a plethora of people like Woodrow and what he's working on. Yep. He now goes by Architect and he's working on a bunch of things with people from the brewery recording studios as well in conjunction with, I guess, me. I'm part of Engine Room Audio, I guess. Uh, and, you know, Joe Daniels been working on it. I think he was a Grammy nominated artist named right. Roe James. You know, it's a lot of trap R&B that I've been listening to. So I don't know if really? it's going to be your people's cup of tea, but yep. like that's the direction also like my team wants me to go forward on for like my stuff because they want to release me as an as a product is what they call it sure, sure. as an artist, you know, as well as me doing odd ended jingles for people. And then for fun shooting music videos, I don't know. My team is once we release that music video. Yeah. They probably want to do track, another one. Well, they, they might, <laughs> might need a fresh team for our little project. They might get upset <laughs> because it's not on brand with what I do right, at all. Right. But, but I'm like, this is great. This is also really funny. <laughs> but you also, you know, you always, you always come off to me as somebody that just is like, fuck it, let's try it. Yeah. And because you don't want to look back and go, especially during this pandemic, who wants to look back and say they cried themselves to sleep every night and ate pizza in the shower at the end of it? You know, like at some point you just got to get up, dust yourself off and have a crack. Yeah. I, I don't know why I don't really- uh, Not have delf- crack, have a crack. Yeah, have a crack. Yeah, have a crack. <laughs> right. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I just wake up and do it. And all the people, I guess like I'm a high functioning anxiety, anxiety type of person where I'm yeah. just like, I'm going to use like any energy I have that's nervous and just like kind of use it to be- And wear it out. And wear it out. You're basically, yeah. you, you treat your anxiety yeah. like Seabiscuit. I know, mean, I but- did do a lot of neuro-linguistic programming for therapy like several years back when I was sure. in like- 
you know, and I was miserable in a day job and I didn't know what to do with that energy. And now I can like Sleep. figure out how to harness it. Yeah. And we'll try yeah. to anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, there are many nights where I'm an insomniac. I think that's also part of the reason why I can't sleep, even if I try to go to bed early sometimes, because I'm just thinking about so much like yeah. and getting excited about like things I'm working on. I've never been happier to switch out of an industry that I didn't like and then fall in love with two. Then it's not work anymore, right? Industries. So that's why you no, can still leave Barbelly, say, at 2 o'clock in the morning and go to your recording studio yeah. where most people wouldn't be sitting in a recording studio on their own at that night time because, you know, like you said, when people are getting yeah. in to be famous, they want everything to be fame, you know, yeah, everything yeah. to be about that. And they don't see the grind that goes on behind it. Yeah. You know, it's that famous picture of the iceberg and it's small on the top and it's huge on the bottom. Right. You never really know what's underneath it. Yeah, it's 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 literally just formed of into pure passion where I'd make a song, get so excited. It's not even for me. It's like, you know, it's for you, that song. Sure. We're just like me and water just bopping around on the walking baseline and just getting really giggling and just yeah. get excited about our work. And same thing with the hospitality. We're just like going over cocktails and just like and just watching everyone work so hard and just like be proud of the team and be proud of like the engineers working on music, music, cocktails. It, it all became kind of synonymous. For and it's passion. science, right? Like there's oh, some science yeah. behind it because you're a science nerd. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple of, uh, I've got some things here I've found out. But yeah. um, but um, let me ask you on the bar side, you've right. got to have some favorites. Can't say my bar because that would be biased and you'd probably be lying. But tell me, tell me a couple of bars that you would go to if you weren't working, which is rarely. <laughs> what are the hottest bars for you, like, you know, pre-COVID? Oh, man. You know what's crazy? Because I work so much, I don't really go to bars a lot. Really? <laughs> it's, well, it's the same question as you asking me, like, what artists do you recommend? I'm like, I've been living under a rock because I'm making music rather than listening sure. to music. I have to literally set aside. So, so also bar and going out to do it. Recently, I, I really like this bar. It's called Pineapple Club, and yep. uh, Buddha Bar TV's shooting a documentary on them currently. They just got their liquor license as soon as the city shut down. Where are they? They're in the East Village area, like kind okay. of Pineapple yeah, Club. Pineapple Club. Okay. That place is great. Ah oh, man, that place shut down. There's a there's a bunch of places that shut down that I can't really name anymore. I feel like it's not right. I mean it ah, Peaches is a great bar. Yep. Um I peaches. went to Yeah, Peaches is great. Yep. I went to Mr. Paradise, a, a friend of a friend of mine works there. Yep. I try to go to um other cocktail bars to kinda also study the flavor profiles that they might be working on. Sure. I'm just, just curious to see what they're doing. And then at the end of it, like I might just go. Ah, I just want a whiskey on the rocks. But. Yeah, yeah. But let, you, you, you're trying to be simple like me. But I, just to be clear on your drinking habits, mm-hmm. you, you, you drink simply, but you think complex, you know, complex mixes. And I said, I, I remember one day you arrived at work and you had a bag with cured egg yolks in it, mm-hmm. and some. You've got all kinds of weird little hobbies going on on top of you know, yeah. uh, you know, dealing with all the the career stuff. That egg yolk thing is a good story, actually. So I was doing pop ups with Stephen Lewis at Barbelly, like. Monthly for a while before we got shut down, and I was pop ups around the city or uh, just at at Barbell. Oh, okay, just cool. Bar- it's just right. like a special day, sure, sure. six cocktails. It's only for that day, and then boom, it's gone. We never make it again. It doesn't yep. exist. Um, which was amazing, like to just be creative and just come up with stuff. So there's oleosaccharum, which is when you take a bunch of the leftover peels that we have, the sure. twists of lemons and oranges, and we throw it in a, in a sugar bag, and it dissolves into the oils of the the rind right. and creates oil, yep. oil sugar, yep. oleosaccharum, very sweet stuff. So, you know, we would take that and then rinse it off with the juices of these oranges. And then, because we never use orange juice for some weird reason, I was like, we should use <laughs> that for the that? cocktail. Like, make, yeah, like, make a blood and sand or something. So we made a riff off of that and that was beautiful. And then he goes, now that's so sustainable because it's zero waste. What if we could do something about these egg yolks we keep tossing out after making like 
oh, egg white shaken, you know, like a pisco sour or something like that for these sours. He goes, if we could just save 24 egg yolks that we throw out a week. So not a red eye, genius. like, you know, not, not a yeah. red eye because that's a bit gross now, yeah. right? No Bloody Mary with a, with a yolk in That would it. be, I don't think anyone would want that. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> what do I do? Well, a drunk Australian would, like my business partner, Jason, at one o'clock in the morning, probably do one of those, but I'll that's try, about I'll, it. I'll try that maybe don't if I was wasted. Get, yeah. yeah. I don't think you'll get through 50 <laughs> yolks a week though. Yeah. No, we go through a lot in that cocktail bar. It's so right. busy. And then- during quarantine, I was watching a lot of Chef's Table, and then I, in the middle of the night, in an insomnia-driven night, I had that eureka moment. I was like, I could cure that egg yolk and shave it like they do in those Michelin star restaurants and put it on top of a, a cocktail. Who does that? Nobody's done this. It's Who a does garnish. That? Who does that? You do that. So what did you do egg with white, it? white, egg yolk. So I, try, I just, I ran down the next day in like maybe getting three hours of sleep because I couldn't sleep. I was so excited. Ran down the stairs, also just in my underwear, hair crazy. My roommate's just like, her mouth was to the floor. <laughs> I was like, Rachel, Rachel. Yeah, I had this idea. I said, she was just like, you couldn't stop laughing because I looked so crazy <laughs> yeah, running yeah, out yeah. of bed. And then I was like, I'm going to do this I'm here to cure thing. egg yolks. Yeah, and I cured egg yolks. And then I brought it in and I was like, we should try this when things are, again, full force for sure, sure, COVID. Sure, sure. So we'll see. But um, What's it going to go on? Tell me, I, tell me, I can't imagine what yeah. to put that on. Just like any of the egg white drinks because we did oh, stuff with egg white powder. Like Sour or- yeah, because like we we just have a carton of egg, you know, and then like you take the yolk and maybe throw it into like a cube mold with salt, sugar mixture, and then bear it with. Of course, a little that's bit what more I would do. You know, absolutely. It. I'm at home curing egg yolks <laughs> on my fucking days off, Instead putting of them in square out. molds. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, cure it, and then you know, shave it, and it tastes just like Parmesan cheese. Yeah. And if that grosses people out, well, then fine. It's sustainable. <laughs> so that was the only reason that's why right. I That's right. And you were re- recycling. Re- recycling. You weren't recycling throwing waste. things out. Yeah. So you're a bit of a science nerd. We clearly know that. You're smoking <laughs> meat. You're doing all kinds of weird stuff. Yes. A couple of things Rachel said. So apparently your alarm goes oh, off no. and off and off and yeah. off. And like you have to have it. How many times? She says it has to be reset like <sighs> five or six times. I mean, I just like to hit the snooze button. You know, I don't know how to unhack that bad habit at this point. <laughs> but yeah, it will just go off and I'll just kind of let it ring. And like, I just have trouble waking up, especially being an insomniac. And it's just, you know, that's just part of it. And if I if I don't have more than three alarms, like sure. let's say I just have one, I might I might oversleep. After just wow. hitting, I'll just so the other one she said, which we've seen pictures of, uh, you've got a pet. I mean, apparently she's got a lizard, right? Your oh yeah, she's got a weird lizard yeah. and something else. A leopard gecko. We have two of them and a, and a snake. A of course, pet of course you snake. do. Yeah. And they're not food. Just to be clear, everybody's <laughs> listening. They're not being cured or anything yet. Not yet, anyway. Um, and then you've got a pet mantis that you've just found the other yeah. day that you, I've noticed you've been feeding online oh, in the yeah. garden. Yeah, na- that, her name's Nancy. Yeah, of course. And she's a bad influence. Uh, no, just kidding. She's great. She was injured, so she she can't use a couple of her limbs. And so I, I was like being very protective. So I. I a friend was leaving our apartment visiting uh, another roommate, Caleb, and he noticed the bug and it was just on a fence and it seemed like it wasn't in good shape. So I, I picked her up and then for the past month put her in the garden in the back on our tomato plants. And then like kind of concerned she can't hunt. So I just – we have mealworms for the lizard. So I was feeding it and then just having conversations with Nancy. So you've basically created a mantis restaurant. Yes. Well, now I brought her inside. So she has a little terrarium and I feed her inside because it's too cold. It's like 49 degrees overnight now. Who said mantises don't like cold? How did you know this? Uh, extensive research on the internet. I guess. You're just a hospitality <laughs> person through and through. If she, if that, I love that bug more than people at this point. If that bug passes away, I'll be so sad. <laughs> such well, a weird there, There's a few but... more weird things. We won't bring them up that Rachel told me that might embarrass you online. I'm weird. Yes, it's fine. Yeah, no, that's all right. Me. You're weird and very talented. I've got Thanks. one last question for you. It's been a delight to have you on. Sure. What would you tell your 20-year-old self right now? Oh, my gosh. You know, honestly, I didn't realize how confident of a person and strong of a person I would end up being changing industries. And I was terrified, so terrified to 
to go through that process. And now I've been so it, they're two male dominated industries. I'm, I've never sure. been more confident in my own skin and happy. And I would just be like, just do it. And do also it. work smarter, not harder, because yeah. I, I still have the habit of doing that now. Sure. Pretty sure, though, if she but you should met tell me you, now, you're telling yourself that now. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Certainly also her back then. Definitely then. But yeah, if she would have met me, I don't know if she would be shook up a bit to see like what kind of person that she turns into, so to speak, because of maybe in a good way, hopefully. But it, it's it's kind of a scary transformation how New York has changed me. And now I've fallen so deep in love, I could never leave. I've never become more confident as a growing into a woman compared to 10 years ago, even especially just being in two male dominated industries, such as the music industry and the hospitality industry, you know, like being surrounded by that makes you become, hopefully she'll, if I met her, like, let's say a 10 year old, 10, 10 years ago, me and (laughs) me now, she wouldn't be so shook up to see how I've changed in hopefully good ways. But it is, I would say it's a drastic transformation. I was, I was way more polite being from the Midwest, I still to this day apologize too You're much. You're super polite. You do apologize too much. That's when New York is well, sorry, sorry your drink only took three I'm minutes. So sorry. Sorry, you know, sorry. Everyone's yeah. like, stop saying sorry. sorry. <laughs> but no, that's that's a good thing to have is to be polite. Like, you keep doing what you're doing, but also, like, work. Yeah, just do it. Like, I was I was terrified to to make that transformation from what is essentially a nine-to-five to two different industries that I had no idea what I was doing in, and I've never been happier since. Like, I have no regrets for that. And you love this city. Yeah. What does it take? How many years you, do you, you got to live here to you become an official New Yorker? Is it a decade? They say a decade, but you know Shit, what? You I can't take years. the Michigan out of me. Yeah, <laughs> you can't take the Michigan out of you. I can absolutely yeah. see that. I get, I get when I get mad too. Like people see, like yeah, the, yeah. When I've seen you throw people Detroit out, I'm like, she's part. not from here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not. From yeah, here. yeah. We'll just get the Michigan bar staff to come out and throw you out of the restaurant. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Thanks so me. much for being on the show yeah. and uh, putting up with all my bullshit. Uh, this is we great. appreciate it. Yeah. Take care. Thanks. That's it for this week, peeps. If you're enjoying the show, just go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you listen to, and ideally give us five-star rating, if we deserve it, of course. It will help other people like you discover us. If you want to find out more on what we get up to, or to suggest someone we should interview, let us know. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at The Raw Hospitality Show. The show is a Fabrica Collective production produced by Mark Fellows and Samantha Webb, music by Jindal. Doll.